Hello, everyone. I am Libba Beecham, the interim executive director here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today, my guest is Dave Kane. Now, Dave is an artist and jeweler based in Athens, Georgia, who specializes in chainmail jewelry, that is, jewelry made of woven rings of precious metals. And chainmail has often been associated with armor of medieval days. But today, Dave and I are going to discuss the process of creating such intricate designs with a craft that goes back literally thousands of years. So, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm curious, how are you first introduced to chainmail in general? It's... Hard to say exactly because I'm a giant nerd and I always have been. I started reading <laughs> fantasy novels in middle school, you know. Yeah. So the concept of what chainmail is, I probably childhood, but between fantasy novels and Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff. But the actual making of it, I didn't encounter till I was in college. A friend of mine visited her house on a weekend and she had a chainmail shirt, a haubergeon on a dressmaker's dummy. and I asked her, where did you get that? She said, my son made it. And I said, how do you make something like that? Right. And she gave me a chunk he'd been working on and said, here, figure it out. So I did. (laughs) That's amazing. So, (laughs) and, and when you were in that, in that figuring out stage, I mean, in the very beginning, I would imagine that like, it's very intricate. Like we said, I would imagine that it was a pretty difficult kind of hobby to take on or art form really to take on, I mean, what were those initial like challenges in the very beginning of learning how to create chainmail pieces? Well, sore fingers to begin with, but uh, (laughs) because that first piece she gave me was made out of copper. So I was just prying it apart with my fingers and putting it back together. Oh, uh, so so a bit more malleable of a metal, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Though uh, it does get harder the more you bend it. That's one of those things you learn uh, when you're working in metal is you bend it five or six times and suddenly it's just getting really hard to bend back. That's interesting. Yeah. Yep. It's called work hardening. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I early challenges were a lot of it technical because being that chainmail and associated art forms are over 2000 years old is all fine and good. But that doesn't mean you have the tech laying around to do it because it's such a weird niche hobby. Mm -hmm. I started out with a pair of vice grips and a pair of tin snips and a wooden dowel rod and some electric fence wire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so starting out with like with those tools, is there a comparison to be made from like earlier tools of creating chainmail and the tools that you use? Well, it kind of depends on what part of the world you're talking about yeah. to some degree because like a lot of European chainmail wasn't wire drawn chainmail the way we do it nowadays. It was uh, stamped out of sheets of metal, so it looked like what we would think of as a washer nowadays. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Because it's a lot easier to roll out a big flat sheet of metal than it is to draw wire. Wire drawing is actually very labor intensive, unless you're talking about precious metals, and it's still labor intensive. Mm -hmm. But the level of precision we have nowadays in getting exact wire diameters and all that have really pushed forward what we do as chainmail people, because we can get wire that is exactly the right diameter we want, and we can cut it to exactly the right ring diameter that we want, and can be a lot more creative that way. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. So, you know, and, and let's talk a little bit about the the history that you're aware of. I mean, we, we've said that this is an art form that goes back thousands of years. I would also assume that this is across different cultures as well. I mean, what have you learned along the way as far as the history of this art form? I've learned that there's not a huge consensus on a lot of the history of it because uh, 
generally speaking, it's usually mostly attributed to the Celts, but there's evidence that the Etruscans may have had chainmail before the Celts. Mm. And it does get mentioned in Zoroastrian literature from like 500 BC. Oh, wow. So to say whether or not exactly the word in that means the exact same thing that we think it does for chainmail is hard to say. But I know that there are archaeological examples that go back to around 500 BC and possibly earlier. But yeah, it largely seems to have gotten popularized by the Romans and then the Byzantine Empire later on, but they didn't originate it. Like so many other things, the Romans didn't invent it, but they really popularized it. Right, right. <laughs> they see a good thing and they, they run with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> definitely one thing they had going for them. Right, right. <laughs> and so you're taking a, an art form that has so much history, in it, and I would imagine that earlier forms of this were really more functional for the protection of the body. Am I correct in thinking that's that's the main use of chain mail when we think about it? Yes. Definitely that, but there's also sort of parallel development in the jewelry side of things. Because there are patterns you see in armor, like the classic European 4-in-1, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, or any of the armor you see in those that is chain, that is European 4-in-1. That is the pattern that was used all over Europe for chainmail. And that definitely dates back at least 500 BC. But then you talk about stuff like, say, a Byzantine chain, which is a popular chain pattern used in chainmail. That probably dates back just as far, but it never had a functional like armor defense use. And that kind of chain mail, when we're talking about like the purely decorative stuff, that was always drawn wire and usually precious metal. And again, we could do it a little fancier nowadays because of the precision of our tools, but it's amazing what they could do with what they had 2000 years ago. Oh, I, I'm sure. I mean, really takes like truly an, an artisan of this form. And, and it's interesting that you, you mentioned that the same pattern was used, you know, for that more functional chainmail armor, I guess you would call it. Could you describe like why that particular design is the standard for, I mean, the design must have certain benefits because of the way it's designed. Could you go into that? Yeah. A uh, European four-in-one chainmail is... It has the benefit that it behaves like fabric, and you can make it into any size of a square you want, any two-dimensional sheet you want. And with a little uh, playing around, you can start doing darts in the armpits and that sort of stuff to make like a shirt shape. Hmm. But one of the things it has going for it is that it is a pattern that can be expanded in all four directions in a, into a flat plane oh, okay. and made into armor. And it's flexible. And depending on how big the rings are you make, they can be made pretty tight, so not much can get through. Mm. Though, to be perfectly clear about it, armor is super vulnerable to, say, arrows from a crossbow or from English longbows. Any kind of more powerful bow would go right through chainmail. Anything that's got a sharp point and some force behind it is what is the natural enemy of chainmail. But yeah, the, the, the European foreign one, it, it's also fairly easy to weave once you understand it. So it has the functionality of being able to be made into sheets it's flexible and it's a relatively easy pattern to understand yeah i would say those are the big ones and you talked about the other pattern being more for for show for the yeah uh, i mean who would be who would be wearing these more the, the fancy chainmail and what is that pattern called again the one i mentioned is byzantine mm. which is another funny chain thing because I have seen, and I wish I could have found the example to cite it for this interview, but couldn't find it. But I've seen examples of it that date back into early Roman times. Mm -hmm. But the name of the chain, calling it Byzantine, obviously is a later thing because right. 
depending on who you believe and who you ask, it was named after the Byzantine Empire, which is probably likely true. But the word Byzantine is also, you know, an adjective that means complex. Hmm. And I also wonder if that's part of why it stuck as a chain pattern name for that one. I've also seen that particular chain pattern have about 20 different alternative names, which also overlap to other chain patterns. So it gets very confusing. <laughs> yeah. As far as who would wear it, it was primarily your higher higher levels of uh, higher echelons of society, your nobility, your emperors, that sort of thing. Yeah. If so this is not ha- something that is like worn for protection. It's really worn as a status symbol. Straight up decoration. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're really afraid someone's going to cut you on the back of the wrist. Then, uh, you're... But you want to look good while you die, you know. <laughs> Darn right. Darn right. <laughs> and you know, on the on the jewelry side of things, I mean, so you were first introduced to chainmail by seeing it in the more functional form. But mm-hmm. when, how were you introduced to chainmail as an art form, and specifically in the medium of jewelry? That I kind of kind of fell into it, honestly, mm. because the reason I got into chainmail originally was I wanted a chainmail shirt. Yeah, And to this day, I don't own one because I've sold every one I've made. <laughs> um, I guess I kind of worked it out of my system after having done it a few dozen yeah, times. Right. <laughs> but I started dabbling with um, jewelry not long after I started dabbling with armor, but I didn't. It was just kind of a side thing. I found this little book that had some chain patterns in it. And about half of them, the directions were correct. About half of them in the directions were not, but I'm a good I'm a good visual 3D shape rotator learner type of guy. So I get it into my hands. I can figure it out if I stare at the picture hard enough. Yeah, right. And the jewelry side of it kind of came about because the armor, I'm originally from Michigan. And mm-hmm. uh, when I moved down here, I got very involved in live action role playing. As I said, I'm a giant nerd. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> one of the things in sort of your medieval themed live action role playing games is costume armor. And I started making chain mail for other people that way, selling it for way too little money, um, <laughs> using alloyed aluminum wire that didn't weigh a ton, but mm-hmm. could hold up to a reasonable amount of, bu- of abuse. Mm-hmm. But that kind of that market kind of died out. And I, you know, I had these skills and I have the tools and I just started fiddling around with smaller and smaller rings and getting what they call artistic wire from one of the hobby shops. And getting smaller and smaller and see how tiny I could do it and what I could make. And I found that the jewelry was a lot more fun because you can be a lot more creative with jewelry. With chainmail, like I said, European foreign one, unless you're getting into like Japanese armor, which has its own patterns. But Mm. you just do that same pattern over and over and over again. Mm Thirty to 50,000 rings in one shirt. It gets a little boring after a while. (laughs) Whereas with uh, jewelry, anything that looks interesting that involves weaving rings together is jewelry. Now, for me, I like classic patterns. I like symmetry, that sort of thing. But anything you, any way you want to put rings together could be jewelry. So yeah. you can be very creative with it. And when you started like experimenting with creating jewelry, just kind of seeing what works and you're exploring, what was the first like completed piece that you made? In jewelry, it was probably, I don't remember super well, but almost certainly it would have been a Byzantine pattern bracelet because mm-hmm. When you're starting with jewelry, the Byzantine chain pattern is the one that everyone learns first. And it's funny because I've come to realize that most of the ways that it's taught is like excessively more complicated than it really needs to be. Oh, interesting. I kind of figured out my own way to do it fast, which one of these days I'll do a tutorial. I keep threatening to do tutorials and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. (laughs) And so you you mentioned bracelets being maybe the, if if someone was to you know, dip their toe into making chainmail jewelry specifically, you'd probably recommend going with a bracelet first? 
that is an easy one to start with because it's a straight line. It's kind of like if you pick up knitting, the first thing you make is a scarf or a washcloth because right. it's a square or a rectangle and you don't have to get too complicated with it. And a lot of what I do in my regular inventory for what I sell nowadays is based in the Byzantine chain because it's such an interesting, flexible pattern that you can do all sorts of crazy stuff with. But yeah, it's a good one to start with for sure. You don't want to dive too deep into the really hard patterns when you're just starting. Right. Also, the Byzantine chain has the advantage that it only uses one ring size. A lot of the more complicated patterns, like there's one I make that has seven different sizes of ring in it. And you've got to keep track of those. Right, if you yeah. if put them in the wrong spot, it ain't going to look right. Oh, my goodness. How, now, I, <laughs> have you been in that situation where you've 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 realized a mistake that you've had to undo somehow? Or you, do you just go oh, with yes. it? <laughs> I mean, I don't make very many mistakes nowadays. And I don't think that's that much of a brag. I've been doing this for 27 years now. I ought to be good at it by now. But I still do mis- make mistakes once in a while. I usually I usually feel them before I see them. Right. Um, because when I'm working with something in my fingers, I can feel that it doesn't move right. And I usually do that before I ever spot it with my eyes. But that's just years and years of practice. Right. That totally makes sense. This is fascinating. So uh, let's go into what inspires you, because you've mentioned that like in the beginning with jewelry, you it was sort of experimental, just seeing what you could make. But have there been other things that have inspired you in your designs, whether it oh, goes back to history or other art or other jewelry? One of the weird things that I tend to find inspiring is insects because they're small, they're complicated, and they can be make very interesting shapes to reproduce. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have thought of that, but it does, it totally makes sense. I mean, nature has inspired so much art, but mm-hmm. but bugs, you know, we don't, we don't yeah. often appreciate their beauty sometimes. This is true. <laughs> One of my best patterns is a little butterfly that I make that actually was a friend of mine's suggestion. She did a little doodle, and I, which I still have on my workbench 15 years later. Aww. It's like, could you do this? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. It took me, I think, 20 prototypes to get it right, but wow. I did get it. And it's one of my regular items nowadays. Oh, that's um, wonderful. And that was inspired by just like someone asking. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's happened quite a lot for you. I oh, would yes. Imagine yes. You've done a lot of custom work. Exactly. And quite frequently, the custom work becomes a regular item because I was like, wow, this is a good idea. I'm glad I thought of it. And then I put it out on the. <laughs> But um, another thing I would say I find inspiring, there's definitely art, probably the both the Art Deco and the Art Nouveau movements, partially because chainmail was a more popular art form in the like in the uh, late Victorian to Edwardian periods. Hmm. And it kind of syncs up with Nouveau and Deco. And you could see a lot of where it sort of blends over into stuff in the big generic sense. I like Deco because it's very symmetrical and uniform and very much looks like the sort of thing I can do in chain patterns. And then I love Nouveau because of all the natural aspects of it and the curves and makes me really think about how I could do something like that with just a bunch of little rings. Right. That seems to present like a, a really fun challenge to try. Yeah. Because yeah, when I'm thinking of the, the rings that you're working with, I mean, these are very geometric shapes, so it's going to mm-hmm. seem sort of outside of nature, but then you bring the nature part in and you have a beautiful chainmail butterfly all of a sudden. There you go. <laughs> it's nice when it works out. In the process itself, I mean, let's say like, you know, now that you are well into your career as a chainmail jewelry artist, when you start a project, I know it's going to take different times and amounts of effort, but what's the very beginning of that process for you? Let's say you have a, a custom piece. What's Once you have the idea, what's the next step? Usually, if I'm doing something completely new, 
the first thing I try to figure out is how it relates to something I've done before. Mm. Partially just that for the geometry side of it, because I cut all of my own rings. And oh, wow. there are a whole bunch of tiny little variations in the sizes. Yeah. Generally speaking, I use wire for most of my jewelry that is 18, 20, or 22 gauge, mm. which means it's one millimeter, 0.8 millimeters, or 0.65 millimeters in diameter. Wow, yeah. And then the actual internal diameter of the rings, I go from two millimeters to eight millimeters in quarter increments. So two, two and a quarter, all the way up to eight. I didn't which realize is all... you made your own links too. I mean, that just, oh, yes. like, I would have been super impressed by, you know, yeah, I order the links and then I, you know, create <laughs> this art. But to make your own, I mean, that's that's really special. That's really neat. It's really necessary when you do super complicated patterns, like going back to mm -hmm. what I said before, the butterfly. Mm -hmm. That's the one that has seven different ring sizes in it. Right. Which yeah. is actually more information than I've ever told anyone about that pattern, because people have been trying to get that one from me for years. Oh, we get the inside scoop. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to do a tutorial for it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But um, when you have that many different kinds of ring sizes and they have to be so precise, really, you got to do it yourself. And I've been doing this long enough that there wasn't a commercially available machine that could cut rings. Okay, so right. I built a machine. I got a motor with a couple of belts and pulleys and a little saw blade that's about as big around as a 50 cent piece. And it's wow. thick as maybe two sheets of paper stacked together. And it can be a fussy little bugger, but mm -hmm. I can get it to I can cut rings of any size I need through it when it's behaving itself properly. That's amazing um, to make your own tool. I mean, piece of equipment yeah. that way. That's really neat, too. Yeah. Yeah, it was a born of necessity because mm -hmm. when you do armor you usually clip the rings you use a pair of tin snips or bolt cutters or something uh -huh. like that which is really hard on your hands let me tell you right. but you also get those sort of pinch cut ends on the rings that like one side will be fairly flat the other side will be kind of triangular mm -hmm. and it can be kind of sharp whereas with jewelry it's got to be smooth it's got to be perfect and so you have to saw cut the rings if you're going to be doing jewelry grade chain mail and there are a few tools out on the market nowadays that can cut rings, and a couple of them are really good, and most of them aren't. But uh, even with the best one I've seen out there, it can't cut rings as small as my cutter can do. So I've got a little bit of an advantage there. Anyone That's... else who wants to do it is going to have to build their own cutter or do it with a saw. Yeah, it sounds like you you need a patent in order or something. <laughs> no, that's really that's so neat, and I mean, and that's something that's so unique to your jewelry because every little part of it, you know, there's intention behind every single aspect of yes. the process, and it's all coming from you. So it really is like truly unique. I love that part of it. It's uh, I'm a stubborn guy, and I very much am of the. If it isn't perfect, I don't want it to leave my workbench, and I can only make it perfect if I did it from beginning to end, uh -huh. which, I mean, I actually have the tools here that I could draw my own wire to, but that's just too, that gets to be way too much labor. It makes wow, a lot yeah. more sense for me to buy wire in their diameter that I'm going to use it, and I can draw it down to smaller sizes if I have to, but generally I, I let the, the big industrial machines handle that because that's why we can do that kind of chain mail today is because... Right big industrial machines will draw that wire for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious, like, so uh, a little little background for our listeners. You know, we met each other at one of the festivals at FanFest in Athens, which was yes. a, a whole lot of fun, um, produced by the Oconee Library System there in the Athens Library. And um, you were there. And, of course, I, I walk by and I see Chainmail. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very vaguely... Like I, I know a little <laughs> bit about it. I've seen it here with our interpreters and everything at the history center. Mm. 
but I had never seen jewelry before and I had to stop and talk and, and look. I'm curious, how do other people react to your jewelry? I'm, I'm, I'm also very curious to know how children react to the jewelry because I noticed that there were a fair amount of kids that, you know, that were, that were yeah. fascinated by it. Kids are kind of the best because they pay attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when a kid comes up and looks at it and they pick it up and they play with it, they, they may not fully understand what they're looking at, but mm-hmm. they can see that it's really complicated and it's really shiny and interesting. With adults, it can be a little trickier to get them to slow down and look. That's when you get into the sales side of things as opposed to the art side of things. And I'm not as good at that or I'd be, <laughs> I'd be considerably richer by now. But um, the key to it for me is getting people to slow down, getting people to stop and getting people to pick it up and touch it. Because chain mail has to be experienced through touch, Mm -hmm. more so even than the eyes. And once people pick it up and feel it, that's when people start to get amazed and interested. And then I tell them that I cut all my own rings and all that. And then they look at me like I've probably got something wrong with me and back away slowly. (laughs) Now, usually it's it's like... yeah, because I mean, you know, to me, from a layperson looking at this, it, it I mean, I know it's hours and hours of work, but it it's so intricate. I mean, I'm looking at some of the jewelry now. And, and like you said, even in these images, I can tell that there's such a tactile sensory experience with the way that it lays and mm-hmm. um, and all of the intricacies of the loops. There are so many different patterns that I'm seeing it. It really does look like nature and geometry really combined. I mean, I'm looking at some of these pendants as well. I see the the butterfly design, really beautiful. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, so I mean, I can I, I could I could see how like you know people passing by. I mean, it's it's so beautiful. But once you get to actually know more about the art form behind it, it's fascinating just for the process itself, you know. So I'm sure Mm. that, you know, kids and adults have been really interested in that. Oh, for sure. It's almost like fractals in a way when you get right down to chainmail because you're taking tiny little repeated shapes and the bigger they get, the bigger the pattern sort of forms out of it. It's a little like fractals, not exactly, but it's one of the comparisons I like to make. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense, yeah. And I mean, clearly this brings you a lot of joy as an artist. And I wonder if you can speak to what it is about this particular art form that you think really captures you or or what is it, you know, what does it offer you as an artist, the experience of creating this kind of art? I think a lot of it goes back, as far as I can remember, I've been a very hands-on little kid. I always liked making things and building things and tearing them apart. And (laughs) I grew up in a very, very tiny town up north where the summer breaks were mostly me staring at cows for three months until uh, (laughs) school came back. And between trips to the library, I would get my mom to teach me how to cross stitch, how to crochet, how to knit. I could do most of your basic fiber skills like that. I've never woven all the other stuff I have. And my dad, I learned how to fix cars and I learned how to do carpentry and that sort of stuff. And I've always been very much a, I want to get my hands into it and learn how things work and learn how to do things. Mm-hmm. And from Boy Scouts, I was, I used to do rope, not artwork, yeah. which I still know how to do, but that's an even harder market to crack. Let me tell right, you. Yeah. <laughs> but when I stumbled into chain mail, it was kind of a perfect blend for me of my nerdiness, something that's weirdly esoteric that I really enjoy. And something I could dive into and get good at. Yeah. Oh, that so makes sense with the, the you know, those other skills that you learned as a child mm-hmm. and yet sort of the tinkering nature of it, the figuring mm-hmm. it out, almost like, I mean, they're like beautiful puzzles in a sense. Yes. It's very much art. like a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, so I know you are the only chainmail artist that I know of, but is this does it have its own little world and community that you've been able to connect with people? I mean, what is the the world of chainmail jewelry like? How big, how small is it? When I first started, I was like the only person I knew. And again, <laughs> this is long enough ago that the internet was basically two cans with a string tied between right. them. But nowadays, there's a lot more. I'm I'm kind of a recluse. I don't really stick my head out of my shell very often. But uh, I know that there are communities out there. There's Facebook communities that find my butterfly and swarm me. So that's always kind of a giggle when it happens. And there are other people I run into out on the road doing the art shows. Like there's a guy, his name is Jim, who is up in, uh, God, I think it's New Hampshire. He has a company called Squirrel Ease. He's a very good chainmail guy too. But he does, if you look at his stuff and you look at my stuff, you see it's chainmail, but you start looking, you, you know it's two different people. Yeah. That's another thing I like about it is it can be very, um, very personal in the way you mm-hmm. interpret it. There's common patterns, but when you get good at it, you start expressing yourself. Absolutely. And it's great that, you know, you're also taking this art form to various events where people can actually see it in person and experience mm-hmm. it. I got to, uh, I mean, that's, that's the reason that we're talking today is that we got to connect through FanFest in Athens. But do you have any other events that are coming up where people might be able to see your work? Depending on exactly when this goes live, this coming weekend, uh, which would be, let me click the corner of my computer here, the 29th and 30th of April, I'll be at the Inman Park Street Festival. Week after that, the 6th and 7th, I'm in Roswell. The week after that, I'll be at Chastain Park. Oh, wonderful. Um, so there's a fair amount of opportunities to, uh, mm-hmm. to see. In the next three art. weeks, for sure. Awesome. And then in awesome. June, I'll be in Cleveland, Ohio. I think in August, I'll probably be in Myrtle Beach. Hopefully I'll be at Dragon Con again this year. I've been doing Dragon Con art shows since 2006. Oh, I bet that's a lot of fun. Oh, yes. It's it's a long weekend, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's yeah. by far my best show. I mean, simply because like with FanFest, it's an audience that understands what they're looking at. Exactly. At the, just at a glance, they know what they know what chain mail is. Right. Whereas when you do regular art shows, there's a there's a large bump of education you got to overcome. But it has gotten better over the you know past 15 years or so as magazines have started to put out basic chainmail patterns that sort of thing. Well, that's wonderful, and and of course you have a website that people mm-hmm. can check out and social media. So um, I'd love for everybody to uh, please make a point to uh, check out Dave Kane Fine Jewelry. Um, what is your website and what's your social media, Dave? I've been doing this long enough that I actually own DaveKane.com. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, that's probably your best bet. I do have Facebook and Instagram, but I'm not terribly good about keeping up with them. But if, mm-hmm. if you search my name and put jewelry on it, you'll find me. I'm not the stock car guy. I'm not the uh, not the musician. I'm the jewelry Dave Kane. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm the one with the domain name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Dave, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I highly encourage all of our listeners uh, to check out Dave's work. Uh, his web address will be in the description. And Dave, maybe maybe someday we can have you do a tutorial here at the uh, History Center. I know that that would be a wonderful experience sure. for our visitors. But again, thank you so much for sharing today. Uh, I know that a lot of our listeners have probably not been introduced to the concept of chainmail jewelry. Hmm. So I was really happy to learn more about it, too. So thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. It's good for me to get out of my cave once in a while. <laughs> Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Our podcast is edited by media producer Guada Rodriguez. Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada May Ivester Education Center. 
Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.